Welcome to the Magic Musicals and Theatre Podcast. This week, the play that we focused on is A Day in the Death of Joe Egg, and we were lucky enough to get to talk to four of the cast. Storm Tunis, Claire Skinner, Toby Stevens, and Patricia Hodge. We were at the Trafalgar Studios, which is... Well, very much in the centre of London and very much at the centre of certain protests that are going on at the moment. So if you hear a bit of helicopter noise and drumming and things, that's what it is. I'm backstage at the Trafalgar Studios. Um, I don't know where we are. Where are we? In the bar? We're in the bar. Not the bar I've ever seen before. I've always only studio seen bar. the one. Right, the studio. Right, we're in the studio bar. Thank you. I'm, I'm talking, talking to Storm Toulis, who is starring in A Day in the Death of Joe Egg. Now, I know a little bit about you because you wrote an absolutely brilliant piece for the programme for this, which um, I read and I thought was was actually just so informative. You play Joe Egg, I guess, yeah, in this. Yeah, well, I, I, I like to call her Josephine Marie, but her name is in the play is Joe Egg, but I tried to give her a, tried to give her a name. But, yeah, I play... Joe in the end of Joe Egg, so right, and it's a very challenging piece. Did you know the the play before? No, you didn't. Well, I guess you're too young because it was written in 1967, <laughs> and I suppose you weren't really. Yeah, well, I'm really, 26, so right, okay. um, I. But I had no idea about anything to do with this play. Um, I read this casting, and I admittedly, um, my first reaction was, "Why on earth would?" you want to play something like that and obviously when I read more about the information in the play and more about the story and when I realised just how much of an iconic role it actually is uh, I became so interested in how I could do this character and it's obviously it's it's a massive challenge for someone like me particularly because I um have never kind of played a more disabled kind of role than what I am, and obviously taking the level of impairment up for Joe. Um, me and Joe are in very different headspaces, so it provided a lot of kind of challenges for me, but also I've learned so much from it, and I've grown so much from it, and it's just been a real honour and privilege to do, to be honest, it's been amazing. I thought that's really interesting. You said when you read the casting, you thought, why would I go for that part because essentially as you say Joe Egg is has a, a more severe much more severe impairment than you do yeah and is that why you just thought well, there's sort of nothing to play well or? it just said I remember it just said non-verbal female required for non-verbal disabled female required for play is that what it and, said yeah and it didn't say oh. and it said that the title of the play and I thought initially it was some kind of new writing or I had no idea about actually the kind of the whole story of it and what how much power was behind it and how much the genuinely loved piece it was um, and I remember my initial thought was have we have we not come far enough to not have castings like like that like why do I need to read this and I spoke to my agent and my parents and a couple of friends of mine and I did a lot of research and after that I discovered just how kind of um how iconic this play is and how much 
of a genius Peter Nichols actually is and how and I sort of I changed my mind but it, I'm not going to pretend to anybody that it was an easy smooth thing it was not people assume that it was it wasn't at all it took me a while to get used to the idea it still does but I'm working with such highly skilled and creative people and such amazing amazing other cast members so I feel so lucky to be doing it yeah, tell me how you said that you've grown through it. And, and, and during the play, I mean, in, in the original production, Joe Egg is, is like 10, I think. Yeah. Or, yeah. And, but in this production, she's played older as she's 15, 15 which you can easily pass yeah. as 15. Nevertheless, <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a more adult than, you know, it's a it's, well, it's teenager it's not a small yeah. child and you are carried around on the stage and things are those the things that you found difficult well it's just more her mind I mean she's 15 but I wouldn't put her mentally past about the age of four or five really mm. in terms of her capacity in terms of what she can understand she understands quite a lot of things but she wouldn't I don't think certainly the way that I play her I can't I haven't sort of, she doesn't, she can't vocalise a full conversation or she has things she wants to say in certain moments of the play, but her thought processes are very much that of a small child. Mm. And so is that, that's the kind of approach yeah. that you took, right? And Let's also, imagine that as a, as you say, a four or five year yeah. old um, who probably, I mean, it's a, gosh, it's a tough watch because I don't think I've ever seen or heard, and I, I kind of knew, knew bits of the play because it's, it's one of those iconic pieces that gets done at all the drama schools. Yeah, and now I know it. Now it. I realise just um, how many people know it. I think, why on earth did I have that reaction? But I think it's really important to say that. Because but it's, a, it's sort of painfully honest. Because Peter Nichols had a, a child with severe disability, Yeah. and I don't think it could have been written by someone who didn't, actually. I mean, no, I think of course that would not. be... The way, like, I think the way... Yeah. It, but it's 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 phenomenally kind of painfully honest to watch. I mean, I don't know if you felt that when you first read it. Um, I think when I re first read it, I certainly some of the language I was a bit like, oh, okay, that's interesting. Um, but I think you see it as a whole piece, and I actually think it's such a brave piece of theatre because a lot of theatre you want you want to assume a certain story and you don't want to know the real darkness of how you know Brian and Sheila actually feel these this family is really 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 suffering and they are putting that out and showing people and it, you don't often get plays that are quite as brutal in terms mm. of what they show you about the human psyche I mean of course you've got a lot of things but you know this play is is so exposing in so many ways. I mean, the attitudes that are displayed, the way that Bryce and Julia interact with each other. Um, this is the kind of thing that happens behind closed doors. You don't put it on a stage. And I yeah. think um, the fact that Peter Nichols did makes it incredibly, incredibly brave. Of course, some of the language is a little bit, you know, on the line, but also it's, it's a really good play and I don't, I don't really find it 
you know, offensive or or challenging. I think it's a fantastic story. Mm-hmm. And I think it's so important that, like, it's also not really about how I feel. It's about this family. And so I'm, you know, I I think a lot of people might sometimes might expect me to get hugely offended by it. I don't at all. I think, in fact, I think it's so brave that you kind of, you just, you think how clever of him to put that sort of stuff on the stage. Well, it is incredibly revealing about yeah. family relationships and, and, um, and, and, and your parents' relationship in it and, and the different relationship that they have with you. And those things are everlasting. It doesn't matter that it was written in 1967. Yeah. Certainly the feedback that we've had from parents of disabled children who have come to see it, that so they found it very, very um, helpful and therapeutic to watch mm-hmm. because they feel like they can see a lot of their struggles being played out. And it, even though 1967, it's still very much 2019. What? What do you think's next? I have no what do you, idea. What, what would you like to I do I have next? no idea because I wasn't... I, um, well, I acted on and off for six years and then I took a year off and I did um, a teach training course. So I qualified to teach English in schools just like... In oh, so you could have a proper yeah. job then? Yeah, well... <laughs> if you wanted. Well, and then I came out of school and sort of flirted with the acting a little bit. and But I wasn't expecting this to happen to me at all and um so i but i don't know i mean i would love love to stay in the industry now i think especially because being a disabled actor now is certainly a lot easier than it was when i first started in terms of the casting the exposure the way that we're being treated in the industry is becoming really i find is being really good certainly i've had a lot of interest it's been you know I, I, but I don't know mm. you never know so. I mean there certainly is more visibility I think yeah of, of, of people with disability on our screens on our on our stages and for, I mean it's far from perfect but there yeah. is more of it than there was there's I always guess. more to do but we I think we're doing really well at the moment actually I would I would say that I've found that disability is becoming much more fashionable much more well known it's becoming much more spoken about people want to know people want to work with you so Mm -hmm. i'll just see well that's very positive that's that's really nice to have a that positive attitude i mean i hope you're right i hope you're right i hope so Um, too i mean yeah yeah, i hope so too well good luck with whatever it is that comes thank you very much thanks very much for talking thank you um, I've moved locations, so I'm in a sort of, well, I think it's called a meeting room. Um, anyway, but I'm still in the Trafalgar Studios Theatre, sort of. Um, and I've got Claire Skinner with me. Now, I read an interview with Tracy Ann Oberman the other day mm. saying that mothers were like the worst parts and you just shouldn't play mothers. She's playing a mother now in a brilliant part at Park Theatre. Mm. Um, you do play quite. Well, you're famously known for playing a mother in Outnumbered, and now you're playing another mother. But then you always play mothers, because women often are mothers, aren't they? And I wonder how many times men get asked how many fathers they play. Mm-hmm. I really seriously do. I just think, I know that this is, a, this is very much a mother part, because it is, it's, about, it's about parenting this kind of child, isn't it? And it's about their marriage. 
But and I have been thinking about this very topic a lot because I don't think Toby gets asked how many no. times he plays fathers. And I'm really glad you pointed that out because I think that's absolutely right. I suppose what it is is that in this the 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 mother the being the mother yeah. is the it's very, central it thing. It is very important. And um, yeah, which are why I don't mind. I mean, obviously I don't mind being asked because it's but and I don't mean asked, mind being asked about this because he is almost like archetype mother. It's like mm. her modus is mother and it's very strong and it's very clear and it's very muscular but it's also brilliant so i mean yeah. it's not the oh no the, she's not a yeah the no, mother she, part that's you know in the old-fashioned way yes like mother as in um i don't wife want to say yeah uh, yeah i know and I exactly yeah and that's oh no definitely because not. no mother is that because no you know but it's, no but it's, you can find yourself slotted into those yeah very easily she's she's right in in many ways <laughs> but anyway she's yeah. being a brilliant part of a mother and so yeah. are you yeah and, i mean it is just it's an incredibly powerful piece and um i was saying to storm i'd only sort of knew it from drama school and we yeah. people did scene studies of yes, it and, yes because it was so well written and great but monologues i don't think yes, yes exactly but i don't think i'd ever well i know i'd never seen the whole piece yeah yeah and i don't know if you had read it or seen it before I, it's funny because i had read it and i was talking to somebody else about this i had read it about 20 years or so ago and it didn't do anything for me. Oh, really? And then I became a mother. And it suddenly, it suddenly makes sense to me. It's, I could suddenly see it. I, I don't know whether that really is it, the fulcrum on which that was based, but I, it, it could have been. It could have been. I didn't really. I looked at the front cloth stuff and thought, well, I don't get that. It's challenging. It's I very mean, it challenging. Is, it is because yeah. it's very different than the fourth wall is yeah, broken yeah. all the time. In I mean, this I love piece, that stuff. I love breaking the fourth wall and I love talking to them. Mm. Um, but the v- sort of more in inverted commas vaudevillian stuff yes. is, is very, very different. Yeah, the, the sort of comedy yeah. scenes and the doctor yeah. scenes and all, all yeah. that, which yeah. is kind of weird. Yeah. Then there's less of that in the second half, isn't there? Isn't that yeah, there's none of it. There's, it's all in the first half. There's none half of it. And, then, and in fact, Storm says. Storm says at the end of that one, we'll go back to the play. And then uh, Toby's character says, oh, we got sidetracked. Uh, We we were meant to be doing a play, weren't we? And then we get back into the play. So it is quite... Yeah, it's... Yeah. It does jump about. It's... It is strange. It is strange, yeah. Yeah. But also, what's off the... What's strange is the kind of incredible honesty with which, as I was speaking to Storm, saying incredible honesty with which the disability is the yeah. issue is yeah. is approached. Yeah. I mean, you don't hear that sort of language. You don't hear people have that open debate, which is had in this piece. And you might say, well, it was written in 1967. People don't talk, but they do, I'm sure, still talk the way they I think they so. Did then. I think I think he, he was incredibly honest. I think what he wrote, what Peter Nichols wrote, was his fantasy about... Either, either running away or killing her. And he wrote it instead of doing it. I think that's... Do you think? Yeah, I think that's what his fantasy was, perhaps. Just because it is so horribly honest, isn't it? I mean, yeah. It's just so... It can only be your worst imaginings. Maybe that's it. Maybe he was testing himself to see what his worst imaginings could be. And he died just yes. really shortly before this About a week opened. before. I know. Yeah. 
did he well he knew you were doing it I suppose yes. I don't know how there he were was conversations. His, he was 92 or something he was 92 and he was ill and um, but he did have conversations with Simon Evans the director so he knew who was in it he knew he was on board with like minor minor adjustments and sort of um, the things that we changed because it would be distracting the anachronistic language would be too distracting although there's a lot of it left but mm. so he was on board with all that he was on board with Toby and me being older so he rewrote a little bit about around the fertility area oh right okay for us because yes of course because you're older so, because the child is older yeah and um, and, and I think so it just adds in fact I think it probably just adds more because you know that they there is because there's a great there's a sort of little debate in it and it, I think it comes from Peter Nichols' life as well the the thinking then was you kind of had a rest put the child away for a little bit you had a rest and got on with having a trying to produce a in quotes normal child and I think that's what they tried mm -hmm. and so there is that discussion in it but of course and that's different for us so it, it, I think the the discussion is, ah, oh, well, we missed... That's gone. That, yeah. That's gone. So I think it probably just adds an extra layer of something mm. about their relationship as well. And what come across, comes across so powerfully in this piece is your... Um, just your love for your child. Yeah, And that yeah. sort of patience that you... You never lose... You ne there's not an inkling in you that loses yeah, yeah. that just love all the time yeah well that's what and going back to what you this almost archetypal mother isn't it yeah just, but in a very strong yeah in a really strong yeah. and powerful oh, way yeah. because an archetypal mother might get that's to be, be furious with their child yeah and, oh yeah you know do all sorts of things yeah. but you don't you're part you you just no, and you can see the strength of it coming coming through on stage so i loved it i love the performance oh thank you, you thank you because it, I, I would never take a part that i didn't think i could nowadays now that I just, because I spent a long time when I was younger playing, well, let's say parts like Desdemona, which is so problematic and difficult, and like, I'm just, oh, God, and you try and make them muscular, and then you end up going, yeah, but there is no muscle, so. Yeah, <laughs> you're um, looking for something that's not uh, there. Yeah, yeah, and then this, yeah. I just, I never questioned that strength or muscularity in her, even though she has to say incredible things like, you know, this whole thing about her being promiscuous, and she mm. was... And I think, you know, for me, it never occurred to me that that wasn't... She's talking about... She's trying to identify or pin down a rather broad guilt feeling, which I think is quite common in parents in general mm. and in parents of children with disabilities. And I think she pins it on that because I don't for a minute think she was promiscuous well, in any way. No, it, it does come out a bit strangely, that. Yes, Because yeah. it's sort of, well, hang on a minute, where did that come from? Yeah, that suddenly yeah, yeah. she was this, Yeah, you know, but I don't... I, I, I never really thought that that was her. I just thought it's her just trying to identify what this guilt might be. Mm. There is obviously guilt under yeah. underlining the whole thing. Yeah. Which obviously is nothing anyone could do about anything, so no. it's misplaced guilt. Yeah. But, but, but she says but it a lot, anyway. doesn't she? She's, she's yeah. looking for the... She's trying to tackle the blame thing, and yeah. then when Bri's mother comes in, she's very sensitive to her notion of blame and fault yeah um and then in this production the it, 
well, the child, Joe Egg, is played older anyway, yeah. but also by a woman who has cerebral palsy. Yeah, yeah. And presumably that was really helpful for you oh, to learn how yeah. parents do deal with, yeah, with that yeah. sort of thing from someone with that experience. Well, I mean, not, nothing like as severely disabled no. as Joe Egg is. But well, she, I mean, you've met Storm, haven't yeah. you? She's the most phenomenally generous performer. She's, uh, and generous as a person. She's kind of generous with herself and her experience. And, you know, she lets us just, like, manhandle her, pull her around. I mean, mm-hmm. she's very trusting. I know, because I asked her about that. So I thought, was that something that put her off doing mm-hmm. it? Because you do, because she's playing someone with such a severe yeah. impairment, yeah. she's carried around on the, yeah. on the stage and yeah. in, in a way that she would not be yeah. treated because her impairment is nothing yeah. like that severe. So yeah. it's, it's fascinating how you deal with that. I think she finds um, that quite... Well, she, she mentioned in rehearsals that it's not easy for her. It is mm. easy, and we understand that. And we're in kind of constant contact with her. I'm in constant contact with her on stage, and I can quite easily mm. find out how she is on stage, you know, with no one really knowing. I know she's okay or she's not okay because yeah. we communicate. <laughs> so it's, I, think, I think she's okay. But yes, she was incredibly generous with us, and she's given us more than she, I think, knows. Mm with that and we also spoke to parents of of children who with disabilities of varying kinds and that was that was incredibly useful as well because you 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 realize that those emotional difficulties and problems they're all still there Mm. the Mm. other stuff might have changed the sort of clinical treatment and care and equipment but the emotional stuff and the toll on relationships and the toll on men- your mental health and mm. is, it's all still still the same. Yeah. Well, it's quite different from Outnumbered, where yeah, basically yeah. you had three little children running yeah. around yeah. Um, making us all laugh. Yeah. I mean, when that first came out, that was sort of revolution, wasn't it? Because it was, did, you improvised a lot of it, We didn't did, you? Yeah. yeah. So it was written, but whenever yeah. the kids came on, there was like a box in the script and the box was just like um, improvisation about whatever it was and then the kids basically were given their motivation their objective Mm -hmm. that's all that that's what they were given and then we were given the lines with which to work and all go off with them and some improv and we just shot Acres. I was going to say, did you just shoot masses and acres masses and of acres. it? And, and because, out. yeah, and because Andy and Guy, Andy Hamilton and Guy Jenkins, they're so clever. They've got the edit all in their head. And so you can shoot acres and they know what they're looking for and what they've got. Uh-huh. So that's how that worked. It was all child centric. That's um, how you do it. Right. And presumably yeah. that got easier, that process, because you did a lot yes. of it and yeah. the children got a bit older yeah. and, and you got yeah. to know them better. I mean, you must have been really close to them. Yeah. After yeah. However long it was that you did it. It was for. about, it was, it was over 10 years in a way. Wow. Yeah. Just one, but you know, six weeks every year or so. <laughs> and it watching was, them grow up. Yeah. Which we all did, of course. We all watched them grow up. And on they our are screens. delightful. They are really, I still see Tiger. Because we do a kids' animation together, so I see him oh, right. every few months. Right. We do this thing. I think Ramona and uh, Dan are at uni, so they're off. <laughs> they're off doing their own yeah. thing. I wonder if it will haunt them for the rest of their lives, or yeah, whether I think 
yeah. I know, we did, Pete and uh, Hugh and I did used to sort of like sometimes look at each other and go, have we ruined their lives? (laughs) Possibly, (laughs) don't know. Or maybe, well, yeah. um, And Hugh, Dennis, who's now your... Your, yes. Your, your real life. I know. Yes, life imitating I know, art. that's a funny thing, yeah, isn't it? that's a funny thing. One of life's yeah. sort of happy, uh, happy outcomes. Yeah, yeah. oh, well, that's yeah. good. Yeah. Um, Alan Aitborn, though, mm. I want to talk, you talked about um, how influential he was oh, yeah, he in was, your career because yeah. he pushed you. He did push me. I've had a few, I've, had, I've been really lucky. I'd, he really pushed me, like a teacher, mm-hmm. One in an old-fashioned way. And I went to Scarborough for a few years on the trot and did oh, the seasons. Yeah. yeah, and he's just such a lovely man, so kind, really brilliant to me. And other other directors like you know Trevor Nunn did this. I felt really pushed me as an actor, and mm-hmm. I've been really lucky in that respect. Because it is lucky. Because I think a lot of the time directors, once you're cast, they're like, well, well, she knows what she's doing. We'll just let her get on with it. Yeah, no. And actually, it's just brilliant to have somebody. Make you be better yeah, than when you would younger, have been. Yeah, sort and, of invest in you push, a bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. It was. They were really lovely years by the sea, doing like plays, and then you 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 had to get involved in the kids' play. So some days you were doing two shows a day. Right. It was just brilliant, like old-fashioned. Yeah, old-fashioned yeah, rep. Yeah, yeah. It's great. Um, and then you. So you. But you haven't done a play in town for quite a while no last time was at the bridge last year and then before that i think it's i've done a couple at hampstead and then before that was the father in the west end about about alzheimer's yeah so was it memory loss do you you, yeah you're picking ones i know all my mates say can you what can you please do noises office on i know whatever could have quite easily you could have had a go yeah but I do tend to go for the darker, <laughs> darker side of things. Although this is quite funny in a fun, in a way, isn't it? It's quite dark. It's challengingly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Dark. So, do you know what's next? No. No. Okay. Simply, no. Tally, do you think? Or, or I got theater? well. I've got something. I've got Pale Horse. I've got an Agatha Christie coming out <gasps> oh. at Christmas. Which then that was. Well, that's that was not very, so dark. Or is no, it? You're or going to tell although me I am doing a, a wicked really... stepmother, oh, which was hugely enjoyable <laughs> to play the wicked stepmother. You see, this is what also happens: things open out when you don't have to be the uh, appendage or the love interest anymore. You can be, you know, slightly more interesting women. Mm. They just need to write more of them. That's what needs to happen. Right, more mature women who more are interesting, not just, just stories. I mean, there's a lot of detectives. You could be there's yes. a lot of female detectives yes. around at the moment. Yeah, you yeah. ever fancied doing one of them? Yeah, I, mm. I've done a female detective, but um, in fact, I've played a lot of coppers. Weirdly, because I'm not really <laughs> copper material. I don't oh, well, think, you but clearly are because you played yeah. a lot of them. Well, whatever it is next, whether it is a well, the Agatha Christie. Yes. We'll look forward to thank you to, very much to seeing that. Thank you for thank coming you. in to talk to Lovely us. Lovely to chat to you. Thank you. Thank you. Got um, Toby Stevens now swapped with Claire Skinner. Um, Sorry, sir. But another Lambda graduate. I was noticing one thing about this play when I looked at my program notes and looked you all up. So basically, you all went to Lambda. Apparently, yeah. It's yeah just we, just and we rehearsed even... at Lambda. Did you? We we did, which was slightly creepy, even though it wasn't in the same building that I was in when I was at Lambda, which was quite a long time ago. Um, it was in a completely new building, but I still felt slightly creepy. You're playing Bry in 
A Day in the Death of Joe Egg, which is a, it's a massive part. It's kind of a tour de force of a part. Yeah. Um, with all this sort of the, the, the vaudeville type stuff. Yeah. I mean, basically you're a teacher and you begin by getting, well, the audience are your pupils. Yeah. We all did what you told us to do. I yeah, presume good. that happens every night. It does. It? I mean, some people sometimes. Well, it's funny because you know you run on, you start shouting at people, and they're just not quite sure what's going on, and they're not quite sure how quite how to react to it. Some days they immediately kind of hook in. Oh, this is fun. Other days they're like, Why is this man? red in the face and shouting at me <laughs> and they're slightly more suspicious and it takes them a while to hook into it um, but uh, mostly they do and they really enjoy it you know they figure it out quite quickly and, yeah. then they, and then you know they're back in the classroom again yeah and th- there are so many different aspects to the part because you have to play you know German doctors and yeah. and you know they sort of cameo roles in the yeah. front and then but the essence of of it is you're playing a father of a child with very very severe yeah, disabilities I mean, and how you deal with that that's that's what it's about broadly yeah but it's also sort of set over one night although we step out of this and we we have these sort of vaudevillian there's this section where we tell the story of of the the birth of Joe and the subsequent kind of uh, prognosis of of Joe's condition and all of this stuff and our dealings with the medical profession with these grotesque mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm safe to say they are grotesque uh, vaudevillian kind of characters that I play and um, but but really it's it's over one day and it's really witnessing the nervous breakdown the breakdown of of Bry mm-hmm. over the course of it. I mean it's you know, we're saying that it's happened for 15 years. They've been looking after this girl for 15 years. And it's just come to this head where he can't cope anymore. His coping mechanism or their coping mechanism has been through humour, mainly instigated by Bry, who has this very black sense of humour about the whole thing. It's the only way he can really cope. But which is in contrast to the part of the mother, which is... He's pushing the humour side. I'm yeah. trying to hide it. And is that? Do you think that's the male thing? That is just he can't confront his emotion, so he uses the humour thing to. Until the second half, certainly. Anyway, it's it's very much all covered in humour, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I think what's what's fascinating in the play is, is is about the play is that you get these these soliloquies, almost Shakespearean soliloquies, where you're allowed into these characters and and. Bri has these moments where you, 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 you feel like he's once, you, you sort of sense, oh, he's, he's this kind of person, and then suddenly he reveals what's going on inside, and you see this guy who is really qu- quite tortured by what's going on and full of self-loathing and kind of, you know, look. I mean, he, he, he sort of hates himself for wanting out of this situation and wanting to put an end to his daughter's situation he he believes it's hopeless he 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 feels there is no point in 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 her living he doesn't he feels that all she's going through is pain and torment and it's ruining his life and his life with his wife and it's really difficult stuff to to sort of discuss but he does and he 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 he, he attacks it in this with his bleak sense of humor but also in these soliloquies um whereas uh, Sheila, if I can speak for, for for Claire, is is much more about hope. 
is much more about the possibility that things may change or that there is she is alive in there and she's conscious in there and do you think peter nichols because we know he wrote this he had a very severely a child with very severe disabilities um do you think Bry is him? How much did you did you look into that? Of how much? Oh, I think it's very much him. Mm. I think it's very much an avatar for his for his Bry is an avatar for his what he went through during that what what uh, he and Thelma went through. Uh, I think they both are. I think he he extrapolates at the end. It becomes a different story. His his daughter tragically died. Um, I think she was 11 when she died um, uh, from the cerebral palsy in the way that they went, uh, they used to die in that time, which was through asphyxiation. And um, she did. But I think it was a really difficult thing for them. And I think that the play... The, the the play has this weight to it because it's written from experience. I think if somebody had written this piece and hadn't experienced it, people would uh, find it unpalatable. Uh, absolutely, but, absolutely, but, you, you know, couldn't. You just you couldn't, couldn't write couldn't, this couldn't, if you had. No, absolutely not. And it, but it it deals with. I mean, what what I've realised doing this, and and um, I have no experience with this kind of um, thing, direct experience. But what I've learned through doing the play, working with, uh, you, you know, uh, you know, the, w- with with everybody on it, and and sort of going w- with Storm particularly, obviously, and with um, Athena, who's her understudy, you know, and through meeting people who are um, directly. We met this woman's group. I don't know if, if uh, Claire told you we met this this group of parents. They were all women who had severely handicapped children or um, people with, uh, children with disabilities. And all of them, they, they sort of, t- they talked about their situations and e- everything echoed with this play. I mean, it totally chimed with this play. And the thing is that I think our attitudes have changed towards disability, but the problems are still there. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the thing that really resonated with me. You know, pe- people who look after children like this feel isolated. Their marriages are seriously jeopardised. Their personal lives are jeopardised. They become depressed. They become... It's, it's incredibly hard. And Peter Nichols was a complicated man. Very. And if you read his obituaries, I mean, I didn't know that much about him in life apart from what he'd written but if you know he was clearly um quite difficult is one way of putting it i think and felt that he wasn't fully appreciated for what he wrote and never reached the the heights of writers that were his contemporaries and he felt that sort of hard done by in in that area and i suppose all those things are in bry in a way all that frustration that he felt that yeah, he feels, I think that's a really good point, I think that's very much part of Bry, is he feels choked by this. He feels held back by it. He feels that he's not able to fulfil himself as, a, as you know, fully as, as himself, but also f- for him and Sheila to, to fully fulfil themselves as a couple. You know, they, 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 and, and look, it's... it's um, his ambitions aside, Peter Nichols' ambitions aside, I mean, I totally empathise with that in this play, even though it's 
you know, this is all difficult and complicated territory, but I totally kind of get how you would feel that frustration. Of course you would. That something's stopping you from being... Yeah, this is stopping you from becoming a full... You know, that it's... You know, at the time, they didn't have the infrastructure that we had now. They didn't have carers who would come around and help out. And, you know, they had none of this stuff. So this is 24-7. You know, they're swapping, they're, mm-hmm. they're tag-teaming one another. And they're doing... This is their life. But it's amazing that actually years. he's able to have a job. Yeah. I mean, he is a full-time yeah. teacher. Does yeah, and Sheila does it during the day. Yeah. He comes yeah. and does it in the evenings. And uh, at least he has a job, mm. you know... I mean, I can't imagine what it would, you know, that sort of thing, when you can't, you know, just get away for a bit. Yeah. Well, you've got six weeks left of the run. Has it, has it changed? I saw it the night before it opened. Um, had, has the piece developed? Has, have the, has your character yeah, you changed know, what's at all always, just doing it a lot? Yeah, what's just so frustrating is, drama yeah, exactly. Yeah. What's always so frustrating is that you really only get into the swing of it after you've opened, you get all of that trauma out of the way. I mean, Mm. we didn't have very long to rehearse it, so the preview period was pretty hair-raising because, you know, we were basically doing run-throughs in public, you know, and developing it, discovering it, really finding Mm. where... I mean, and also you really need an audience in this because so much of it requires an audience. And... um, uh, and so, but as soon as we opened, I sort of relaxed and I could really begin to enjoy it more and not enjoy it actually, but explore it more, you know, um, and, and sort of find where, you know, one can, because so much of it is, is um, this vaudevillian style, you know, thing. Mm. It's finding where you can be doing that, but also allowing an audience to see the pain that's underneath it all that he's not you know he's not doing it because he wants to make people he's actually doing it because they can't stop doing it it's like yeah the, it's a, the it's sense that they've it's... done this thing so many times endlessly that they're in this awful kind of hell where they keep on going over the old territory because they can't leave it alone or Bri can't leave it alone you know mm. I think he kind of drags her along into it yeah um, but yeah it's been really interesting finding more in depth to it one more thing i'm going to ask you you've played james bond on the radio yes. quite a lot um so i just asked you this and i'm i you can say whatever you want would you do it on screen would you would you be no i would not i think i'm too a too old um too and old. i genuinely mean that yeah i mean i'm just turned 50 i think really but I, roger moore was old didn't that i know roger moore bless him <laughs> He kind of like he really should have been put out to pasture, but I mean you know um, they kept him going. Um, no, I I I don't know what I don't know what they're going to do with it at the moment. It all seems a bit sort of ludicrous, really, in our present situation <laughs> to be going. You know, hey, I think maybe these, we need to rethink these, it all. These things are a good distraction. I, I think, know. You know, well, exactly. The, Let's the just pretend it's apart. all like we can hear sounds of protests happening outside the theatre. Let's discuss Jane Bond. Because that's exactly. you know why not escapism? Yeah, exactly. It's what yes. we all need. So, yeah, no. Yeah. Um, anyway, all I right. don't know who's going to play it next, but I wish yeah. them well. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Toby Stevens. Thank, Thank you, you so much for talking to us. 
I'm talking to Patricia Hodgdown. Um, so, uh, who, now, you have the first half off in this play. I do have the first half, and I have the first half of the second half <laughs> off as well. You make a late I've actions. never waited with... quite so long to go on. I thought, I thought when I did... Um, Little Night Music the National. I think I had about 40 minutes before I was on. And every, well, no, that's not true, actually. We'd all done an opening dance, and then I had to disappear for 40 minutes, and that, that was a bit of a wait. But this is, this is worse. It's quite weird, isn't it, to have to do that? And the play's in full swing. Yeah. It's, you know, yeah. the audience, and we've had our drink at the interval and everything, yeah. we've come back for the second half. And I say there's a party going on there, and I'm not part of it. Yeah. Yeah, well, no. Do you get here at the beginning and sit in I your do, dressing no, room? I do, no, absolutely, because we have, um, first of all, I would, you know, I would always warm up for a show. And uh, second, our, our director has this lovely thing where we do a powwow before every show. So all the stage management, wigs, um, costume, everybody gets together and uh, it's headed up um, in turn. So one person leads it uh, in, in rotation. And, uh, and what so is you it? either well, it's it's just that we're all to, we all get together backstage for ten minutes before the half, and um, somebody it's just whatever you want it to be. You read read out something, read a poem, read something that a letter, like a whatever, assembly or tell or a story about your life or play a game. I mean, our director is a brilliant magician, so he always does a he always does a trick for us. Yeah, I think that's great because actually in productions, especially when they've been going a while. You can get to that thing where you actually arrive on stage and you haven't seen that person until you see them on stage. Well, tell me about it. I mean, and that I, happens. No, and that's, that's why I'm very much for this. I, I, I couldn't possibly, even without it, I couldn't turn up at, you know, whatever, nine o'clock and swan on stage. With, it, I, it would not work. So, um, so this, this is very nice to have this. And then we all feel we're part of the same thing, even though... Some of us are shoved in a cupboard upstairs for a while. <laughs> but that's the thing, isn't it? You are all part of one piece that's telling one incredibly powerful story. And yeah. it would be very disparate if you were, hadn't seen each other no, before no. you arrived. No, but I, think I mean, when in, the, in the past, I've always, always made a point of going and, and knocking on people's dressing room doors and saying hello and, or give them a hug in the way. You know, something, because, yeah. mm. because you, go, you do go through a, a, a lot together in creating it. And then to sort of lose the the um the chemistry mm. would would be dis- disaster and especially when you're in london i think because when you're in london everyone goes home so when you're on tour or whatever you know then, you kind of well, let's all find somewhere where we right. can find actually get a chinese or, or a curry <laughs> after the only restaurant that's open after the show's <laughs> yes. come down uh, but in london people go home mm. and then so you really can lose that yeah. that sort of company yeah. feeling so it's lovely that you do that i'm going to go you, now in a couple of years' time, I read this, you will be celebrating 50 years in the business. I don't know how that's happened. Gosh, somebody's computed that. That's more than I've done. Let me think about this. Um, I started drama school the day after I was 22 because I was a teacher first. All right, okay. And, um, and then I had two and a half years, best part of three years in drama school. And then, So the year I actually started in the profession was 1971. So you've got another three years to go, is that right? No, no 71, no, yeah. No, that's right, 1971. Um, then it's 50 years in 2021. 
Yes, yeah, so yeah. a couple of years. Now, it's something that I hadn't thought about, but there we are. Should I not have brought that up? No, I, I don't, don't mind at all. Not at all. You see, you mentioned drama school. Were you aware that everyone in this, in this show basically went to Lambda? Yes, yes, of yes. course. Isn't of that course. interesting, though? Absolutely. Don't I'm you aware. think that's interesting? I'm very pleased because I'm on the board of Lambda. So, are you? Um, so it makes me very proud that... Uh, well, don't listen to what Toby said about his time at Lambda, then. No, I won't, then. Uh, no. Maybe not. Oh, okay, <laughs> I'll take that up with him later. I'm sure you weren't on the board of Lambda when Tony Toby was <laughs> no, there. I wasn't. So no, I'm not be. that old. Are you quite involved then in the in in the drama school thing? Is that yes? A, yeah. Yes, I think um, I I think it's very important that um, the the elders among us help the young in whatever way and use your skill set to do so. Mm. Um, uh, I think it's it's very important for all manner of reasons. I mean, if you stood on a street corner collecting money for drama students, you wouldn't wouldn't make very much. But actually, um, as we know, theatre um, and and the arts communicate things better than anything else across the world. It's the thing that will engage people more mm-hmm. than anything, and you can tell better stories through it, and so on. Uh, so, um, by training them not by a long way not everybody continues in in the profession because things conspire against or they change their mind but the training for life is is second to none and there is a financial barrier for a lot of people going to drama school and i presume one of the things that you do on your board is there are scholarships and the bursaries or well that's whatever, that's to help the important people. part of it yeah yeah and trying to trying to get i mean my real wish is to try and get accommodation sorted because that's the killer Especially in, in London, yeah. that's the that, nightmare. That's the real backbreaker. And of course, they young people sit in interviews and say, "Oh, you know, I'm going to." You say, "How are you going to uh, pay for this?" Oh, well, I'll do bar work in the evenings. Forget it. You can't mm. because it's a very immersive training. Mm. So all of that. Well, it's like people at university trying to do three or four jobs at once. Yeah, well, anyway. I know. Um, I'm going to take you back a little bit. Your professional debut. Howard Barker play, No One Was Saved. That's correct. Yeah. I bet that was light and fluffy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it it had been at the Royal Court about 18 months before, and it was based on um, the Eleanor Rigby song. That's obviously where the line comes from. Yeah. Um, And I always laugh about it because um, it was at the Travis Theatre in Edinburgh, which was a lovely place to start my career. And I had to play a 30-year-old tart and a 60-year-old granny in alternate scenes. So it's quite a quite, quite, a, quite a jump off the cliff. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and I was what 25. So. And Howard Barker stuff was so tough yeah. and yeah. brutal. And yeah. Well, this one probably of of the canon of what he's written was one of the light the lighter ones. Oh, it's an interesting. It was an interesting play. Yeah. Um, and, but you're probably well, more recently best known, of course, for playing Miranda's mum in Miranda. Well, that, that's that's the thing that reaches the biggest audience, isn't yeah. it? And I, I don't think it still does, does it? Is it still yes, played? It's still, People are still it, it, repeated well, all over the place, I yes, suppose? It, it is, and of course it's streamed, and um, it's, mm. on, it's, it's on all those things that I don't understand, um, and box sets and things that I never get a chance to look at. <laughs> but uh, I, it, it's... Lovely, really, because she would be the first person to say she thought it was going to be watched by 15 of her best friends and their dog. <laughs> and it caught on, and it, it has a, 
a continuing life. So one of them, I think, was most one of those perfect half an hour of farce that I've ever seen, where everyone's falling over and you know all of that. Br- well, br- brilliant, brilliantly done. Phys- physical comedy. Mm. It, it's it's interesting, isn't it? It breaks all barriers, really. Uh, it, there's something about it that just makes you laugh. I mean, I've just seen noises off. Yeah, and which I did, uh, of course. It's uh, years yeah, ago. and it's. I mean, what a, what a brilliant oh, it's the piece best comedy of that. Written. It's yeah. just, and it's ridiculous. Why? But people falling over is funny. Yeah. It just is. It just is. But anyway, just quickly back to, to Joe Egg. Do you remember this when it first came out? Um, well, well no, it, it's a bit it came out your, the year before but, I started drama school. Right. So Interestingly. It's, so it's about as long as my involvement mm. in, in theatre, which, which sort of gives it signi- great significance for me. Um, plus the fact that um, it was uh, originally directed and cr- sort of co-created by Michael Blakemore, who I've worked with on more than one occasion, um, wonderful Titan director, and uh, he, Peter Nichols and he were very, very good friends, and he he not only did commission this play, which nobody wanted to do, everybody was too frightened, of it, mm-hmm. but he lived through the whole the whole context of it with Peter in real life. So it was a very significant play and my goodness, you know, he backed he backed the right horse with it um, because it, it's it's one of the notable plays of the last mm. 50 years, certainly. Yeah. Um, so uh, I, it was something I couldn't ignore, even though I knew in terms of time on the stage there were limitations with the character, but that doesn't necessarily matter if um, if what the character has to to bring has some sort of significance, which yes, it's a very well constructed play. And and you come on as Bry's mother with with attitude, I guess. I mean, yes. it's a very strong <laughs> entrance when you arrive. Um, I wonder what what do you feel she does to sort of change the dynamic of what's going on on the stage when when she comes on. Well, I think any any new character, and particularly that late in the in the play, is going to change the dynamic. Um, in in particular, I think that you spent a lot of time with Bry, and the mother informs you why Bry is as he is, and I think that is um, one of the main purposes of the character. Also, um, it adds to the comedy which at that point in the evening I think people need. Mm. And it, she helps turn it into a farce because her attitude is... is well, and that's so what it becomes at the end. Yes. It is, it's a bit like noises off, that people yeah. going off one door and out the other door yeah. and, you know, all of that. Yeah, he turns what is essentially a very, very, very serious um, intention into something farcical so you don't... You sort of... Your mind is taken off it mm. until it isn't. Um, so it's a you play Peter Nichols plays a lot with the emotions of the audience. Mm. Well, we were wrung out by the end of it. Mm. I can tell you that. Mm. I mean, it is it's it's just as I say, I knew sort of scenes or speeches from it, but I'd never seen it as a piece. No. And when you see it as a piece, you leave the theatre and just go, whoa, whoa, that hits hard. Actually, it yeah, really absolutely. Does. And one of the things I know that um, that Blakemore brought to it when it was uh, originally, I and mean, it was Peter Nichols, obviously his, his, I mean, his genius to to come up with writing about something that was of immense pain to him. But in life, he he it was his humour that got him through it. 
and um, he had Bry address the audience originally, but then the play became behind a proscenium arch, and it was Blakemore that said, no, I think what we need to do is get each of the characters to reach out to the audience, and that actually engages them. It's like holding hands with them and saying, come on this journey with us. Mm. And uh, I think that was, was a very, it was a, a very clever, dramatic um, idea. Mm. And that, so, but I think it's 15 years since it's been done. 20, I think nearly 20 is it, is since it, it was last done, that? yeah. In, in, a, in the West End, it is. I think it's, it's been done elsewhere. Mm. And I guess it's one of those pieces that will keep being done, I think. Um, yes, because I think, look, I, things date if they are um, only sociological. If they're about the human condition, then they don't. Um, there may be elements in, of course there are elements in it that, that, that date. I mean, my character talking about having a vacuum, for example, and people go, what, what, what's that? Um, but it, that's not important, really, in, in terms of, um, of the human experience. And I think it will always be interesting to see where we were then and where we are now. Mm. And I think, as you say, the human condition, the human elements of those the situation are exactly the same now as they would have been. Well, and the present is informed by the past, and it's important we look at the past with a think. Where you know, how, how have we done? Are we are we getting anywhere? Mm-hmm. And talking of not the past but the future, what are you going to do next? Oh gosh, well, I think the the, the problem is I'm doing things for some reason it, it's always like this in this business there are several things that i'm being asked to do while i'm doing this so it's a question of, of weighing course. those up and seeing mm-hmm. seeing what i can do after i finish this i think that i would most of all like to have christmas off <laughs> so i'm not jumping into a panther well then you can watch the rest of strictly in because I, I know I you're can. a strictly fan well i, I well i mm, am yes, yes but actually um i i wasn't re- and i i mean i you know danced a lot in in my life and i started by doing ballet rather than acting so a uh, dance i absolutely love but it was miranda that really and the culture of miranda that got me to really look at it closely, and um, I'm glad I have. So are you, are you watching this series? Oh, yes. Oh, so oh, you'll yes, be fine recorded. over Christmas, because all of the, these things all come to a climax oh, around that time. They do. And you'll and be free. Master to, Chef and all yep, those things Yeah, you'll be love. free to watch all of them. I'm a, I'm a <laughs> Or not, because you're going to do whatever it is. Well, Pick no, no, I think the, they're all, I, unfortunately, right. they're all concurrent with this, so oh. m- maybe I'll get... I'll get Christmas. Have Christmas off and start something in the new year. (laughs) Have a bit of a rest. You need to rest after this. It's so intense. (laughs) We'll see. Um, Thank you so much for coming and talking to us. Thank you. How lovely to talk. I do appreciate it. Have a good show tonight. And um, see you soon. soon. That was Storm Tulis, Claire Skinner, Toby Stevens and Patricia Hodge all talking to me backstage at the Trafalgar Studios in London where they are starring in A Day in the Death of Joe Egg. If you enjoyed that podcast, well, keep listening for the rest of the series, of course, but you can also download some of the back catalogue. There's some really, really good ones in there, so have a look. <laughs>